0: Yo, yo, yo. Hello. We are back. So past couple weeks, we've been talking about things from kind of a student lens. And we're shifting now to more of the teacher lens, um, both in ways of what to do as an educator with navigating your own triggers within the classroom um, and things of that manner. And then also the ways that um, you can start to build different Awareness techniques within yourself that will also assist your students. So, kind it's of fun. exciting.
1: I'm pumped. And your mom's gonna talk.
0: And we're gonna get a little bit of resiliency building tips from mom. Yay! Woo!
1: I love that word. Just I know we haven't really dove into it yet. Dove into it. But resilience is something that I think needs to be discussed. Throughout mm-hmm. all classrooms um, and outside of the classroom too. So I'm excited
0: to hear what you have to say. Agree. Woo! Yeah, it's a really fun thing that I think needs to be a more common term yeah. within the classrooms, just to get yeah. students really focused and working on how to create those resiliency sp- skills and like taking tough situations um, within the classroom and just friendships and stuff and like learning how to bounce back from them. Mm-hmm. So getting Great. started here. Um, we're just going to be talking through some different things that like as an educator will be really helpful. So we have touched on the fact that there are going to be situations that as an ed- educator may be triggering to yourself, whether you have trauma in your past or not. Um, there's still certain things that may happen within your classroom that could be really overwhelming um, and just kind of put you in a place of like fight or flight. Um, So just an analogy we're going to kind of be using today to talk about this um, is from a book called The Body Keeps the Score. What a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Very fun. Um, So basically, it's just this analogy of like a person riding a horse. And sometimes there's things that happen where the person knows and can see the surroundings, like maybe the horse steps on a stick. The person's like, oh, yes, there was a stick. But the horse may not know that. So the horse will take off running or do something leaving the rider behind. And in a lot of ways, that's how our brain works when uh, we get triggered into some type of like fight, flight, freeze, um, is our brain might be able to know, okay, great, that's just like a fire alarm, a door slammed and something X, Y, Z happened. But our body's natural reaction to try to protect us just takes off without um, leaving room for our brains to help reel it back in. And that's a very normal reaction. So. Our job as educators is to take situations to know that and to start working on things both within us and within our students to try and um, build the skills to quickly get the horse back, if you will, to quickly remake the connections Mm -hmm. between the horse and the rider, between your thinking brain and your reaction brain slash emotions brain um, to begin to process those situations. Because a lot of times students can come into our classroom being in a fight flight or freeze mindset from home and that's not a mindset or a place that is going to make students in a great spot to learn and to absorb new things um because they are not feeling safe so we have to learn how to make our classrooms a safe place where they can re-engage with their thinking brain and be able to process things like that and like as educators that's stuff that can happen to us too yeah we exactly have to how to do ways. that
1: and i think um just like you were saying so students have to find their way back onto the horse but us teachers like we're going to take some things from home and bring it into the classroom and if it happens every once in a while that's okay but having those strategies in your back pocket of knowing how to re-engage, like you said, Mm -hmm. is super important because it affects not only your teaching skills, but the students and how they view you and the content you're teaching, so.
0: So an idea for students or just as an educator that's really helpful is the idea of co-regulation, which is where someone else enters the picture to help the person get back on the horse. Um, We're just gonna keep. Come back to that analogy, because I think Great. it really Perfect. helps make it make sense. Um, but so from the teacher perspective, working with a student. Um, so an example that I read about in an article on positive, the positive psychology website was a door slammed and a student's natural reaction, they yelled and hid underneath their desk. Obviously, they quickly realized oh it was a door that slammed, but they, they were clung, like clinging to the desk leg. And all the other students were like, hello, what's happening? Um, so the teacher did a really good job of navigating and working through that and just like calmly going over, like getting down on the student's level, speaking in a really soft, comforting voice and just like, hey, just repeat, like stating things in the room, like you're safe, we're at school, Will you do you want to come out, like come out when you're ready um, and kind of just doing some, like started, they started doing some breathing, with the student. It's kind of a thing like, I'm going to do some deep breaths. You join me when you're ready. Um, and stuff like that. So things we've talked about in other podcasts, like looking at the naming, the colors in the room, um, mm-hmm. doing some of the grounding techniques. So those are also things that are really good for fight, flight, or freeze, like re-engaging techniques. Um, and then also just regular calming strategies that can work for a number of other situations. Also, if a student just gets really upset or hurt or um something like that where you can just like journal or draw or um do some sensory things um a lot of times so this is something that my mom always taught us to do growing up is like um deep touch is really helpful so you go through and you squeeze each one of your fingers for like 30 seconds and then you apply some pressure to the palm of your hand and that's also something that as a teacher you can help a student with if they're really overwhelmed obviously that's something that's nice to explain beforehand and be like hey this is a really helpful thing and it's like you can model it for your students and it's like when you get overwhelmed you can be like okay this is something that helps me um and like make it kind of a normal classroom routine of like okay as a class we're gonna take some deep breaths and we're gonna kind of just like re-get our brains into a good spot um other things you know taking a walk doing a little dance (laughs) um something I thought was interesting was running hot water on your hands Mm -hmm. um it's just more like sensory things when students really crave or need that kind of assistance. Um, and so then this kind of goes back to something we talked about in one of our first podcasts was getting to the cortex for students. Um, and so something that the positive psychology website talks a lot about also um, is sometimes as educators, obviously we're a lot older than our students and our prefrontal cortexes have a lot have a lot had a lot more time to develop. And so sometimes we have to share our prefrontal cortex with our students. So in that situation where that student got very triggered from um, the door slamming we as the educator were able to see like oh i understand why she had the reaction she did i'm going to go join her in that whereas even the other students were probably like why did she react that way kind (laughs) of a thing and making it a norm not obviously trying to draw attention to it so that way the student doesn't get embarrassed or anything like that so kind of fun, kind of funky, kind of fresh.
1: (laughs) Well, and that being said, I think it's important to think about teacher-to-teacher interactions Mm, and since our prefrontal cortex is more developed. Cortexes. Since we have more developed um, brains and just more experience in life, going to other teachers in your experiences where you yourself as an educator are feeling triggered, Mm -hmm. that will help because then those same um, ideas of co-regulation. So relying on somebody else, not just taking all the pressure um, on by yourself and really um, leaning on others too. So I love that you said that Taylor, thank you.
0: Yeah, so some of these things that we mentioned, like with the door slamming. So there's a website that I have found that I will link in the podcast notes that lists a lot of common triggers in classrooms. For students and some of them are things that really just make sense and some of yeah. them are things that I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about mm-hmm. um, and these are things that would be really great to know both as a teacher for yourself and obviously for your students as well uh, and I'll just go through a couple of them but more of them are deeply listed in the comments too um so some of the things we we're talking about like rest time nap time it's like most students are really comforted by like low light sound machines really cozy like soft things um blankets and like pillows and such however some students um who have experienced certain things that itself is a trigger like having the lights dimmed yeah. or um having to have like quiet nap time so being very vigilant and paying attention to our students and providing different kinds of rest if that is necessary um like going somewhere else in a different room with the lights on and getting to color or something like that um and then this one's one that is definitely more of a given. It's like safety lessons, fire drills, field trips, like leading really large disruptions, uncontrolled noises and stuff like that um, is just really being aware and trying to prepare students individually for things like that um, and watching for which students you're going to have to go maybe hand in hand assist in situations like that. Um, and then there's other things that are touched on a little bit um, like class assignments that involve like childhood memories and having to bring in pictures of your family and it's like this could be really traumatic for a lot of students even specifically ones who are like adopted or in foster care where it's mm-hmm. like that's just not maybe the most fun or easy thing to um talk about or go back to um but kind of segueing away from that we've used kind of the word trigger um, in a number of different contexts today. Mm-hmm. um, and so something else that's really helpful and beneficial within the classroom is having um, providing common language for students to access and be able to use and to describe the ways that they're feeling. Um, so having students go through and start practicing, like identifying feelings in general is really helpful. Um, but when we talk with my mother here in a second, we're gonna kind of ask her some of the terms and different things that we can use to provide students so they help them describe ways that they're feeling what's going on in their life stuff like that okay so now we're on with my mom say hi mom hello (laughs) um do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and what you're doing why you're qualified to assist us in
2: this issue i will so my name is stephanie hinman i'm an art therapist and a board-certified Christian counselor, and I have a business called Healing Expressions. I spent 25 years working with kids from difficult places in the foster care system and um, in hospice and uh, began a resilience program designed to help build resilient kids and um, taught resilience building classes for 20 years and um, began uh, teaching schools and um, domestic abuse shelters and um, international humanitarian organizations how to also build resilient kids and now my focus has become more on um, building resilient uh, helping professionals because what we're finding is a lot of helping professionals are experiencing compassion fatigue burnout vicarious trauma and so um I myself went through a season of dealing with those things. And so from that, um, we now are offering classes for helping professionals.
1: I love how much you use the word resilience in that explanation. Um, As I said earlier, it's a word that we need to talk about. So can you define it for us?
2: What does resilience mean to you and your program? Yes, so I define resilience as the ability to bounce back in the face of adversity Which basically means that I am resourced with internal resources, external resources, uh, self-care skills, emotional regulation skills, um, skills to regulate my nervous system. And these are the things that help me be a resilient person, but also when we work with children, children often times learn those skills in the context of relationships, so they're caught, not taught. So what we have found is that we build resilient kids when we teach families and communities how to be resilient.
0: That sounds awesome. I think you touched on some really great components and things that we've already looked at a little bit that go into resiliency building, like co-regulation and learning what to do being resourced with um things to process what's going on in front of us um i think something that is really important is teaching emotional regulation both for ourselves and in our students what are some ways that you can do that do you have any suggestions for us or things we can do in the classroom
2: Absolutely. So there's two main components to learning emotional regulation. The first part is learning how to name our emotions, assign meaning to our emotions well, and express our emotions in healthy ways. And so that we call that like emotional expressiveness. And then the other component is learning how to uh, attuned to our nervous system, att- attuned to kind of what's going on internally and being able to uh, re- regulate the nervous system. If we feel like we're revving too high, you know, to be able to calm the body down. If we feel like we're revving too low to be able to kind of um, get ourselves going get ourselves up and moving. Yeah. So I think we see a lot of that in
0: classrooms where they'll have like the four different color areas and students can practice like identifying emotions and things of that matter um with the different colors and the colors represent categories of emotions and feelings. Um I think something that I looked into a little bit is having like giving students language to talk about um different emotions, so there's like specifically naming them, but then there's also ways of describing them. Do you have any like specific terms that would be helpful to give to our students? We touched a little bit on like what triggered means and things like that, but trigger can be kind of a hard term because it also associates with actual like triggers. Um, Are there any terms or language that you think might be helpful to equip our students
2: with? Sure. So language that I like to use is um, teaching kids what it feels like to be safe, calm and connected, uh, which is that perceived safety. um, And then being able to recognize when they've gone into overwhelm so overwhelm is kind of a catch-all phrase that really can can um, you know there's these big six emotions that tend to be the most triggering emotions like shame and fear and um, sadness and there's six of them and um, so recognizing when we're starting to go into overwhelm and there's lots of language we can use like flipping the lid which is a, a Dan Siegel term so flipping the lid is a term that we use to describe what happens in the brain when a person becomes overwhelmed. It's like a neurological switch that gets flipped. And when you hold your hand with the fist, when you tuck your your thumb in and um, it makes a little brain looking. Um, demonstration. And so we talk about the four fingers on top being our thinking rational brain, the one that makes good decisions. And our thumb is that emotional brain um, that just feels really strong feelings. And so when everything is connected and working right, we're able to feel our feelings and make good decisions about how to express those well. But if we get overwhelmed and that switch gets flipped in the brain, It's like those four fingers pop open and there's no longer connection, which means at this point, I'm just feeling very strong feelings and I've lost access to that really good decision maker. And so we talk a lot about when I'm working with kids, how do we recognize when we have flipped our lid and how do we Uh, calm back down in a way where we can um, start to feel like ourselves again and act like ourselves again. One of the ways we teach this is I have a uh, trigger jar is what we call it. Uh, We fill a um, jar with water and then I like to use glitter but sometimes people use dirt and stuff like that and you tighten the lid and you let it settle down really well. When we look through the jar and we talk about how it's easy to see through it, I can see pretty clearly. Um, That might be a good indication that my my, uh, thinking brain is on tight because I can see things clearly and I'm feeling like myself and acting like myself. But then someone comes along and shakes my jar and suddenly now I can't see through it. It's very swirly. It's very, um, you know, cloudy, difficult to see clearly. I'm not looking like I'm not acting like myself. I'm not feeling like myself. I just have a lot of emotions and and stress hormones flying around in my body. And so um, we like to talk about it. The two best tools we have are our breathing and our appreciation. So depending on how flipped that lid is, Um, Sometimes if a child's lid is so flipped that they can't do any kind of breathing exercise, then um, what I tell the caregiver to do is to sit close to that child and the caregiver takes deep breaths down into the diaphragm, which uh, triggers the parasympathetic nervous system to come on and begin the calm. It's like turning on the air conditioning, right? We've got too hot. Now we're, that air conditioning is going to come on and start cool down the body. And as the caregiver does this um, and is sitting close to a child, the child's mirror neurons will activate and the child will begin to then um, co-regulate with the caregiver so at a certain point then you'll hear the child take a deep breath or start to calm down a little bit and then you can invite the child to breathe with you once the child is acting like themselves a little bit better and they're they're a little calmer, then you can engage in question something like, "What's something that makes you smile?" Um, and they'll say, "Oh, my dog! I love my dog. My dog makes me smile. What do you like the best about your dog?" Just the very act of thinking about something um, that the child makes the child smile. It's engaging the activation of the appreciation. Uh, their nervous system will then really begin to engage, and we'll get that thinking lid back on tight.
1: Awesome! Those seemed like really great techniques. That I mean, for students, but as well for us, that can just help us be able to figure out where we're at and when our emotions and our brain are connected and when they're disconnected so I think that's a really great thing for us to think about um, as we're in the classroom, I was wondering if we could kind of like. go back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier with just touching on like as teachers and how we need to build resiliency and like if you could give us some techniques to help us um, as we're in these classrooms and prevent burnout and all those important things.
2: Yes. So when I'm talking to kids about resiliency, I typically have I have these two kickballs. One is full of air. It's bouncy. It can bounce back when you throw it to a person. They bounce it back at you because it's it's nice and full with air. And we talk about how the air in the ball is joy. It's about relational connections and building our um, our ability to connect well with others. Uh, we call it, to call the ABCs, appreciation on um, the, the belief. So that's how we make meaning of things. And then C is our connection. So when I'm talking with adults, I'm oh, no, sorry, the other kickball is deflated. And so I try to like bounce that to a kid and, and it just falls flat. So we talk about how when we've used up all of our air, do we have the replenishing skills to, to fill it? When I'm talking with adults or caregivers, I actually usually use a different analogy of being a, a wick candle, versus an oil lamp, because a wick candle, when it burns, it, it, it depletes itself and it burns out. And unfortunately, we have a lot of caregivers, uh, mental health professionals, counselors, teachers, pastors, um, that are, you know, first responders, I work a lot with first responders, they are, they have compassion fatigue, they have, they're burned out, they have a lot of vicarious trauma. And they're, they're, they're starting that burnout process and they start to realize, wow, I am not enjoying my job. I, you know, just think about how I want to go home. Um, as a counselor, I, I was with a um, client one day and I started realizing I was just planning my evening. I wasn't engaging with my, my um, client and I realized that was like a warning sign for me that I needed to start, you know, paying attention to, to what was going on inside of me. So being an oil lamp means that I am able to replenish my supply. So as a caregiver, if you are going to be effective at and really be able to engage with the life of a child or with the life of somebody, you know, who's suffering or going through a difficult time, you're going to burn. So the idea is, is how can we replenish and not burn out. And so having self-replenishment skills mean that I have the ability to build into my day uh, rest, replenishment, connection with other people, learning to really build my brain to, to be one that can um, be, you know, be in a state of appreciation. Uh, when when our RCs are on, back to that flipping the switch, when when everything's connected and everything's working right, my brain is looking for people that are happy to be with me, that I can connect with, that um, are going to bring me joy, you know, be life giving. When I'm not, when my when my flip has switched. Sorry, switch. Um, I am not I'm not looking for people to connect with. I'm looking for problems to solve. I'm looking for what's wrong with things around me. So, so being able to recognize when, uh, when are we're in overwhelm and having the tools to then, um, you know, return to a place of feeling safe, calm and connected and replenish from the stress of the day.
1: I really appreciate both your perspectives from the student lens and the teacher lens. I think it's really refreshing to hear all of your ideas. Um, Lots of things I've never heard before. And I know that we all three of us were sitting here with our thumb in between our four fingers following along with your analogy. And I hope all the listeners are too. um, Because it really it really brings it into light and starts the conversation just like we um, talked about how it needs to We need to get the conversation rolling in these classrooms. So thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I hope people are able to reference your work in other ways. Um, It seems like you have a lot of knowledge that is useful for us in and out of the classroom. And I just really appreciate all that you brought to the table today.
2: So thank you. Thank you. Yes, it was fun to be with you. And thank
0: you listeners for being listeners and for listening.
2: Please join us next time
0: on a eudaemonia.